0: Hi, and welcome to Listen Up, A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that did not come to bring peace, but the sword. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions.
1: And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the this is not how protagonists work of the MCU.
0: So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Luke Cage season one, episode six through eight, and comrades, Abandon all hope, all ye who enter. (laughs) Okay, I have a couple of four color facts, a couple of characters that I've been saving in my back pocket for when they would actually become important Mm -hmm. according to certain metrics of important.
2: That this show is
0: very confused about the metrics it should be using for importance. But let's talk about Mariah Dillard. How okay. about that?
1: Sounds like it.
0: Better known in the comic books as Black Mariah. Because, oh. again, written by a bunch of white dudes. <laughs> Let me let me stop to say there are a lot of African American characters who showed up in the '70s who have black in their names. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's not great. It's not great. But there are levels of bad. Okay, Mm -hmm. like I think Black Lightning is kind of neutral. Sure. I mean, he doesn't actually shoot lightning that is black. He's literally just called that because he's black. Okay. And I think that that was a bad idea when they first did it, but it's like hung around so long that now mm-hmm. it's kind of, it kind of works for him. Like mm-hmm. I've been watching Black Lightning on, on the CW and it is also a relentlessly black show in the best way. So I think mm-hmm. now it's kind of working for him. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. On the good side, like the good end of things, you have Black Manta, who mm-hmm. is a villain from Aquaman. Right. Mm-hmm. And This is also not great. He's also named (laughs) black just because he's black. Mm -hmm. But because he is trying to create an undersea nation just for African-Americans, like for Mm -hmm. people who are beleaguered by the systemic oppression of America, I'm kind of like, all right, you've clearly got like some Black Panther, you know, kind of pride thing going on there. I like it. I like it. And that brings us to Black Panther from Mm -hmm. Marvel, who, again was certainly named Black Panther because he is black, but it also has larger (laughs) ramifications, right? Like they make it work. Black Mariah is the worst possible example of this because she's seriously has nothing going on (laughs) to name her black.
1: Right, like a big part of it is that like Black Panther, Black Lightning, like that's all about like their identity, you know, but here she is, this is just her name. This is like, you know, so I don't know. There's something about that. And I I can't quite put my finger on it, but that just feels worse to me.
0: (laughs) No, I think you're right. I think Mm -hmm. the difference is that in those other examples, even with Black Manta, who is a villain himself, when they take on that name, it's like elevating. Yes. You know, like partly themselves, like as a human being, they are choosing a new identity like we've talked about so many times with superhero stuff, Mm -hmm. right? But also they're very much like owning their blackness in one way or another and like integrating that, not being ashamed of it, like integrating it into their superhero persona, which again is kind of accidental, but we can go ahead and read better things into it, you know, after all this time. With Black Mariah, it's really like the opposite of that. It's like other people call her that. that.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: It's not elevating her power through Mm -hmm. her blackness. It's taking away her power through her blackness or trying to. Yeah. And we even had a hint of that in the show when Cottonmouth called her Black Mariah Mm -hmm. to, you know, get under her skin. And she brought up colorism, which is a whole thing within the African-American community that I am not prepared to discuss because <laughs> right. it's outside of my area. But mm-hmm. suffice to say that the lightness or darkness of your skin is mm-hmm. something that can work for and against you. It's, it's. I mean, that kind of, that's an example of that systemic racism just poisoning everybody, even yep. people you wouldn't necessarily expect. So right. it, even in terms of what we get on the show, it's not great. It's mm-hmm. not great.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in the comics, she's really largely been kind of like a low-rent con Mm -hmm. artist-type villain, you know? Initially, she faces off against Power Man, and later Power Man and Iron Fist together, Mm -hmm. right? So she does kind of escalate a little bit, but it's it's still not great. Let me just tell you about it. So (laughs) initially, she's the head of a gang, who used stolen ambulances to pick up the recently deceased? Ooh. Just so that they could steal whatever valuables the corpse had on them.
1: Oh my God.
0: And then dump the bodies. Ooh. Right? It's so gross. Like, I yeah. mean no matter how many gold teeth you pull or wallets you empty, right? Yeah. Doesn't it seem like this is so much more work than the payoff is going to wind up being?
1: It does feel like a lot of work. Yeah. So, so it's a yeah. bad
0: grift, which is a number one. My mm-hmm. biggest problem with grifters is like, listen, if you're not going to do a good <laughs> right. grift, what even are you? Right?
1: Exactly.
0: And in this case, you're also doing this extra dimension of like personal harm because these, yeah. they just dump the bodies and then people don't have their loved ones to put to rest, right?
2: Yeah. It's just
0: like incidental emotional horror show to get a couple of hundred bucks at best. It's not, right. see what I mean? It's just like, for real? This is mm-hmm. what we're going to do? Yeah, Yeah. And a woman whose husband's body was dumped, so she didn't have her husband to inter, you know, to mourn mm-hmm. over, to have a funeral for, hires Luke to find her husband's corpse mm-hmm. he does he sends mariah to jail and after doing mm-hmm. time for that stunt mariah starts a small drug distribution business now we can talk about realism and all that stuff but you know maybe having an african-american street level villainous type character start a mm-hmm. small drug empire is maybe not a great <laughs> look maybe not <laughs> Right. Like this would have been as the crack epidemic is ramping up. And this is what we're Mm going to do with her. Great. Yeah. Good job. White writers. You're killing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, she hired an old foe of Luke's named Scimitar to work as Mm -hmm. muscle for her drug running operation. But they all folded like a cheap card table once Luke and Danny show up. That's they're not great. I, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: now she has most recently showed up in a relaunch of Power Man and Iron Fist. They did a new book mm-hmm. about Luke Cage trying to be a better guy and like, uh. like working as a dad. You know, like I'm going back to being a hero mm -hmm. for hire, but I go home to my wife and daughter. Remember, uh, Mm -hmm. he's married to Jessica Jones and they have Danielle, their daughter, who is named after his best friend, Danny Iron Fist Rand and will one day be Captain America. Comics, everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's kind of a lot of fun, this series, because you have Luke trying to be like an upstanding, responsible adult and you have Danny Uh acting like a damn fool because that's what (laughs) Danny does.
1: (laughs) He's the friend that gets you in trouble. So it's pretty good. Yeah.
0: And initially they get back together to help an old friend of theirs, who I am Mm -hmm. not going to get into the plot of this because it's a lot of Iron Fist and Power Man stuff. But needless to say, this is a person who was in prison and shared a cell with Mariah. And when she got out, hooked back up with Mm -hmm. Mariah and they tried to do some shady deals, but Luke Mm -hmm. and Danny were there to stop it. So that series is actually pretty good and does a a better turn by Mariah, but we're still Mm -hmm. talking about like a, again, jive talking, Mm -hmm. obviously almost comically and sometimes overweight African-American woman whose name is Black Mariah for no good reason. It's bad. I don't Um, like it.
1: Right? Yeah, it ain't good.
0: I'm sorry I even had to bring it up, but here we are. Speaking of things I'm sorry to have to bring up, Diamondback. Oh, my God. So remember how I said that during Luke's origin, I wasn't going to go into who framed him because it would be spoilery? Mm-hmm. Well, let me introduce you to Willis Stryker, a.k.a. Diamondback, the man who framed Carl Lucas.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: You see, Willis was Carl's best friend, and it was the two of them that decided to become kings of the streets. And while Carl Mm -hmm. became an expert with his fists, Diamondback mastered knife fighting. Mm -hmm. Later, after Carl had gone straight, Diamondback became abusive to his girlfriend, Reva Connors.
1: Oh, hello. Yeah.
0: See, Mm -hmm. I had to save all this till now. I couldn't talk about this during Jessica Jones, any of that stuff. Yeah. Sure. So Reva calls Carl, who comes to help her. And after he Mm -hmm. you know, extricates her from the Diamondback situation, they start seeing one another. Mm -hmm. And Stryker can't take it. So he plants, I don't know, a hundred million pounds of heroin, whatever. It's a lot in Luke's apartment. In Carl's, excuse me, in Carl's apartment. Mm Mm-hmm. Which gets him arrested and sent to jail. And we talked about everything that happened about that earlier in another episode. Mm -hmm. But what we need to keep our eye on here is that that heroin didn't come from nowhere. (laughs) Diamondback had stolen it from the Magia. Who you may Mm -hmm. recall from us discussing the Mafia during right. Peggy Carter, that uh, the New York-based Marvel mm-hmm. Comics was afraid of pissing off the actual Mafia, so they <laughs> made up this fake criminal organization named the Magia. Sure. Now it's mm-hmm. a mystery. Who can see this? Yes. Who can see through this smoke, the smoke screen that <laughs> right. Stanley created? <laughs> anyway, the Magia wanted their heroin back, but obviously the cops have it, so Diamondback goes on the run for a while. Mm-hmm. Later, he and Luke battle, but honestly, it's really not that interesting, except for the fact that Diamondback kidnapped Claire Temple. That was the thing that brought them back together to fight. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Diamondback's a master of knife combat and uses gimmicky knives that shoot gas or sonic waves or whatever. He sucks. He sucks. He's, he does. I mean, he carries (laughs) knives that are poison because he's literally poisoned to this show. I mean, it's the, it's not good. Uh,
1: Wow. Okay, so for a knife guy, though, in these episodes, that's not really what he's working with. No. But, you know, whatever, which is basically what the episodes are about. So let's go ahead and get into it, talking about our episodes.
0: (laughs) In Suckas Need Bodyguards, Scarf tries to blackmail Cottonmouth, and it ends predictably badly. Cottonmouth takes Scarf's gun from him and unloads a few rounds before heading off. It's not a criminal mastermind move, but hey, Cottonmouth got his guns back. This puts the cops on high alert and Misty teams up with Lieutenant Perez, himself in Cottonmouth's pocket, to try and find Scarf. Meanwhile, Luke and Claire reconnect at her mom's restaurant. She accompanies him back to Pop's and finds the critically wounded Scarf. Claire treats his injuries while Luke heads off to Scarf's apartment to get his little black book of Cottonmouth secrets. Misty sees him, and Luke, Scarf, and Claire go on the run to deliver the evidence to one police plaza. In the meantime, Misty tricks Perez into implicating himself and arrests him. Mercenaries attack Luke, Claire, and Scarf. Luke fends them off, but Scarf dies from his injuries. Cottonmouth is still arrested based on the evidence, but Mariah, who has been interviewed this episode, but I forgot because it doesn't matter at all, (laughs) finds out from the same reporter who may have exposed her connection to Cottonmouth's criminal activities on live television.
1: Suckers Need Bodyguards was written by Nathan Lewis Jackson and directed by Sam Miller. In Manifest, Scarf's ledger is found inadmissible and Cottonmouth is released, meaning all of the previous episode was meaningless. Luke goes after Domingo and gets the guns Cottonmouth sold him back. Cottonmouth threatens to expose Luke's real identity to get him sent back to prison, and Luke decides to leave Harlem because he is seriously the worst protagonist. But Claire, the best protagonist, convinces him to stay. This briefly becomes the interminable flashback episode for Cottonmouth and Mariah as we meet their grandmother, mobster Mama Mabel, and her brother-in-law, Pistol Pete. Pete encouraged Cottonmouth's musical talents while molesting Mariah, but when Mabel finds out Pete was side-hustling with her rivals, she had Cottonmouth take him out back and shoot him. Meanwhile, in the present, Misty gets a new boss who she hates? Maybe? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Anyway, the new boss raises Misty's suspicion of Luke. Mariah is forced to resign from the city council. When she visits Cottonmouth to discuss how messed up that is, Cottonmouth says she liked what Pete did to her and Mariah, rightly, flips smooth out. She hits Cottonmouth with a bottle and he falls through the window of the dance floor below. Mariah follows him down and continues beating him with a mic stand. Shades helps her frame Luke for the murder. Luke begins to confide in Claire about his past, but is shot by Diamondback with a Judas bullet. For those keeping score at home, this is the moment that the show goes completely off the rails.
0: Manifest was written by Akilah Cooper and directed by Andy Goddard. In Blowing Up the Spot, Claire calls in some favors to get an ambulance for Luke, but they're ambushed by Diamondback on the way to the hospital. They hide out in a woman's clinic so Claire can get a closer look at the bullet in Luke's gut. They talk some comic book science about how getting shrapnel out of unbreakable skin might be difficult. Meanwhile, Candace, the waitress from Episode 1, becomes Misty's star witness in Cottonmouth's murder case by saying Luke did it all of this only makes misty suspicious of mariah but mariah's got connects including misty's brand new boss misty calls luke to try and get a fix on his location and to tell him he's been accused of murder she heads to the clinic to arrest luke but diamondback pops up like a goddamn bad penny this time (laughs) luke recognizes him as childhood friend willis Stryker, who apparently blames luke for everything i guess mariah meets candace to pay her for her testimony against luke Luke fights Diamondback, and it's kind of unbelievable how much trouble Luke has with the mope. Meanwhile, Misty arrests Claire, and while trying to question her, Misty grows angry and physically attacks her. This gets Claire released even as Diamondback confronts Luke in the street. Diamondback shoots him with another Judas bullet, and then reveals that he's Luke's brother. Because everyone involved in the story of this show has just given the fuck up.
1: Blowing Up the Spot was written by Aida Mashaka Kroal and directed by Magnus Marens. All right, Joshua, I'm going to need you. To, you could just sit down and relax for a minute because I have some shit to say because, oh my God, these episodes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I did my best to warn you without being too negative. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. You did. I was expecting it to go bad in different ways and like the normal ways. But this is such a weird way because, okay, let me just I just have to get it out of my system. This is not how antagonists work, people. Okay, a central narrative conflict is a conflict between a protagonist and an antagonist. A protagonist has a goal. An antagonist blocks that goal. The conflict escalates. That's your structure. Eventually, it resolves when a winner is decided. And when that happens, your story is over. And as we've discussed, a protagonist is defined by the fact that they are our POV character, they have the most at stake, and they are in pursuit of a goal providing motive force moving the story forward. Now, we've already discussed how Luke has been an unbelievably weak protagonist so far, and an argument can absolutely be made that Cottonmouth is actually our protagonist. So we already had a weak protagonist in Luke Cage, but finally it became personal and Luke had a goal. So, okay, fine, let's just keep going. His conflict is with Cottonmouth. And Mariah wasn't really that concerned with Luke. She just wanted Cottonmouth to keep up his end of their deal. And most of the time, she's trying to talk him out of this conflict with Luke. So she is not the antagonist. But then but then Mariah kills Cottonmouth. It is not ideal for your antagonist to die because then, by definition, story's over.
0: Wait for it.
1: <laughs> the story is Over When the the conflict between the protagonist and the antagonist is resolved, and if one of them dies, that resolves the conflict. The other one (laughs) wins by default. It is a shitty way to end a conflict, but it ends the conflict. So the story is over. So fine, you can save this. If Mariah then steps in and picks up the same line of conflict and runs with it, okay. Not ideal. Not ideal, but it's <laughs> savable. Right. You can work with it.
0: Suboptimal, but at least suboptimal, workable.
1: But you can keep it going because that means that Luke has a continuing conflict as long as it is the same conflict, except that Luke's conflict was about stopping Cottonmouth. And you know what? When Cottonmouth is dead, he is stopped. Right? Story's over. So now, had Luke's goal been about saving Harlem, saving Harlem as we've said a million times, rather than ending Cottonmouth, then you could save that because Mariah is the actual threat to Harlem and Mariah may have been the one that he was actually in conflict all along while Cottonmouth was just kind of like this puppet over to the side that they could have made work. It's not what they did. Also, that's not his goal, you know? But I'm sitting here, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, Cottonmouth is dead. She has smashed him to pieces With a mic stand, right? And by the way, though, I have to say, as as bad as that was for the narrative, the way that they built it, I really did enjoy Alfred Woodard beating hell out of him after he told her that she liked it when her uncle molested her and raped her. So, all right, fair enough. Go for it, Mariah. I'm with you, you know? Um... So if Mariah can pick up the conflict at this point, I'm thinking, okay, fine. So now Mariah is our main antagonist. She's going to be coming after Luke. Luke's going to have to stop her. But oh, wait, no. No, because it's not about Mariah. She's trying to frame Luke, but that's really not going anywhere because nobody believes that Luke did it. And he has an alibi. He was with Claire the whole time. Then we have out of nowhere... Diamondback Diamondback with a new conflict that has absolutely bugger all to do with everything else that we've been doing this season so that story is over we have finished that story and now we're moving into another one with a completely different active goal and the one who's active again is the antagonist so can you make an argument that Diamondback is actually now our protagonist sure you can you make an argument for anything doesn't matter it's all a big mess so anyway we have this guy going after Luke and now Luke is engaged in another conflict in which he is, once again, reactive instead of active. And it's not ideal. You can work with it. But the thing is, the original story is over. This is a new story. What the actual fuck TV show? Go home, you're drunk. It's just not working. So this whole thing, as I'm watching it, I'm like, what in the hell is even happening here? It's, it's so bizarre. I don't even know how they're going to save this for this season.
0: Well, here's the bad news. They do not.
1: (laughs) They do not save it.
0: They don't. Okay. They do not stick the dismount. I'm not even sure that what they do could be characterized as a dismount. We'll see it.
2: (laughs) It's not good. It's not good.
0: I have to tell you, Uh, I have to tell (laughs) you, the first time that I was watching this and I didn't know, that it was going mm-hmm. off the rails, I was still yeah. enjoying myself. Because, again, I understood all these narrative problems. But I was like, I know who mm-hmm. Luke Cage is. It'll be fine. And I love the aesthetic and the music. And Cottonmouth is very entertaining. Right. It's fine. And then Mariah mm-hmm. kills Cottonmouth. And look, he yeah. had it coming. Don't get me wrong. That's <laughs> fine from a character but narratively, standpoint.
1: narratively, it's a bad call. It's yes. terrible.
0: And I mean, I watched mm-hmm. him fall out of the window and I was like, Okay, I think this might still work. And then she goes down and beats him to death with a mic stand. And I turned to my wife and I was like, we can just stop right now. They cannot fix this. It's unfixable. And that is before right? Diamondback shows up. So then and Diamondback the shows that? up.
1: I know. And
0: I, I, I was about to flip my couch. Like, just fuck yeah. this. Why, <laughs> what are we even doing? Yeah, yeah. She could attest I was legitimately oh angry because I was like, You just yeah. we're we're not even halfway through our thirteen right. episodes, and you have wrecked your little minecart roller coaster to hell and gone. Yeah. Ugh.
1: yeah. And just suddenly took a left turn out of nowhere, you know? So I have absolutely no idea what any of that is about. But
0: well, now that you at home have enjoyed a delightful rant by Lonnie and a mini rant from me. <laughs> Let's hear from our sponsor. (laughs) This episode of Listen Up A-Holes is brought to you by Lonnie's Axe Sharpening.com. Lonnie's rants can melt through steel, but when she's got an axe to grind, (laughs) it'll grind whatever needs grinding into pulpy ash. Unless it's Luke Cage's unbreakable skin. You might have thought chippers was just about story and looking on the bright side, but LonnieZaxSharpening.com can turn you into a fierce plot hole wood chipper while keeping your narrative structure intact. Visit LonnieZaxSharpening.com and use the code, That's Not How Antagonists Work. <laughs> For your discount today, Chipperish is not responsible for any injury, loss of limb, plot device, or breaking of body or character. Or instead of throwing money at sharpening your tools, you can throw it at Chipperish to help us keep making the podcasts you love that sharpen your story appreciation. Visit patreon.com Chipperish to find out more. <laughs>
1: all right so I guess let's talk about the rest of the stuff in these episodes even though the story has gone off the rails um I have I have questions about shades and maybe some of your extra textual knowledge uh will help kind of like make this make sense but okay so he's working for Diamondback uh-huh. who is connected to Luke but Diamondback is providing... Was it drugs or guns for in the original? I have forgotten what the original deal was. It was guns, wasn't it?
0: Uh, in the show, it's guns.
1: Wasn't it drugs in the beginning that Dante and Ch- and Chico stole? No, The money from. That was guns, too. Okay. That was know. a gun deal. I don't know what it is.
0: Because they were Domingo's guns. We have spent all this time Domingo's being after guns. Domingo's guns. And the fact that right. that is such a giant MacGuffin and you can't remember it is a symptom of
1: yeah. the problem. <laughs> it's a symptom of a lot of the problems here. So Shades now at this point, right, he's been working with Cottonmouth and he comes in. You know, having being one of like Diamondbacks people and then just sort of becomes the counselor. He becomes the guy who just advises and everybody listens to him because he is who he's nobody. So here he is. Mariah beats Cottonmouth to a bloody pulp. And now Shades is all Giving her advice and walking her through it and saying, This is how we're going to frame Luke, but it's a stupid plan and falls apart almost immediately. But we're supposed to look at him like he's the puppet master and in, in the back end, but he's actually working for Diamondback. So, did Diamondback deliberately send shades in? To mess with Luke, but if he wanted him to mess with Luke, why was he spending time with Cottonmouth in the hopes that it would upset Luke? Because Luke didn't even care about Cottonmouth for, like, the first, I don't know, interminable five millennia of this series. Like, what's, what, what? Does this make sense to you? Am I just missing something?
0: Uh, no. And (laughs) let's start with your first question, if the extra textual to the show knowledge is going to help you. It isn't.
1: Okay. I'm gonna
0: discuss shades next episode. Uh Uh-huh. Because we're getting close to the end and I'm stretching some of these people out. But shades is not that interesting, even in the comics. Like for real. Okay. There's probably Uh gonna be let's talk about shades for a minute and then some takes to astonish, because it's because we've gone off the rails at this point. Um
1: So none of this makes sense because Shades seems like he's the one in the background like maneuvering everything. But like, why is anybody listening to him? Why does anybody care about him?
0: He's supposed to be like Diamondback's representative here, like his consigliere or whatever, except. Right. Except he seems really rational. Shades does Uh like a good criminal. And Diamondback seems like a fucking loony. So.
1: Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't understand why anybody's listening to him like I understand that he you know lost Diamondbacks guns but like also it's it's like and Mariah's in shock and he's there to help her so I guess that's why she's listening to him right and then although I do like I do like when he goes to the other guys and he's like hey you know what you work for me now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Look, that. that's the thing. Shades is actually
0: kind of great. Like I am mostly yeah. buying into these things with shades, even yeah. though they are not justifying them, really, because right. Theo Rossi is I killing like him. this. Yeah,
1: He's fantastic. I'm really enjoying him. He's a lot of fun. Like the actor is doing a good job and the stuff with shades like in moment to moment. I'm in. Like I'm yeah, like, yeah, give yeah. me some shades. He's the most interesting thing in this whole in this whole show. But I mean, aside from Luke, but he's
0: Oh, let's be real. Aside from Claire.
1: Aside from Claire. No, I do I like Luke, but that might just be Mike Coulter's charisma. I don't know. I don't know. No, Luke is I'm like sorry,
0: it. I'm sorry. That's not fair. Luke is actually very good. It's just they're not giving him things to do that they're
1: make any kind him of sense. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, They're not giving him motivation. He's reactive. He's reactive again in this episode when he decides that he's just going to run away. And then it ends up being Claire that has to provide him his motivation and talk to him about coming, like, you know, about staying and protecting the neighborhood and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Although, I don't know, with Claire, like, I like Claire a lot, but her whole pro vigilante speech, I think, needs a little interrogation. Um, There's an argument. Okay. There's an argument for this when the police are powerless, when the bad guy is also superpowered and cannot be contained any other way than through the superpowered, like Jessica Jones, right? Kilgrave, right? Yes. Superpowered. The police were not gonna be able to do anything about it. It was absolutely you know, her responsibility to take care of him, right? Here we are, and all of this stuff, like Luke is superpowered, but everybody else is just human. Everybody else is just criminals. You know, yeah. so it's not a superhero story because we don't have a super villain on the other side that can't be handled by the police. Now, in a situation like that, like I do a show about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? And Buffy handles the demons and the vampires and all the things that the police are not equipped to handle. And when it's humans, she hands them over to the human justice system because the human justice system is built to make sure. I mean, yes, it's not perfect, But it's built, ideally, when it's used properly, which, okay, a lot of times it's not, but ideally, (laughs) when it's used properly, now I'm I'm getting more and more into Claire's argument, but when it's used properly, it, it protects people's rights. We have a system in place where people have rights, you know, where they have to be, you know, they're innocent until proven guilty, that they get a trial, all of this kind of stuff. And that is something that you need to have, even when it malfunctions, because we need to have that or society falls the fuck apart. So... Claire's argument that Luke is the vigilante that everybody needs in Harlem doesn't really hold water for me. It doesn't. I don't buy that as because the people that he's fighting are not super powered. The police both can and should be handling this shit. Now, I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: I have quite a bit of pushback, actually, because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. genre convention. Right. Okay. Okay. One thing that people who want to do a shallow reading of superheroes and pretend they're clever like to point out Uh is that vigilantism Mm -hmm. is bad. To which I say, yes, you clever person in the real world, (laughs) we would prefer Uh Uh non-vigilante justice. However, in a superhero universe, you better get on the bus with vigilantism being an ultimate good.
1: (laughs) Just because... Because genre? That's yeah.
0: It. Well, I mean, okay. look, look, you can pin it on some guys like Superman or Captain America and just kind of like let the integrity tumble down from there. <laughs> but, but the fact is, these are stories based around vigilantism.
1: But they're based on like having an even playing field that when you have you don't have such a power differential. when you have a superpowered character, a superpowered hero, you have a superpowered villain alongside them that the hero is the only one capable of handling. In which case, yes, go for it because superheroes, that's why you need them. you know. But everything else in this story is mundane, except for Luke. That's where it goes off for me.
0: I maintain for the purposes of this show that Cottonmouth has one superpower. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Corruption. He is so integrated into the everyday goings on of Harlem that the cops can't prove anything. And even if they did, one of these many Cottonmouth owned police officers would just vanish the evidence or lose the file or whatever. I think Mm -hmm. that the show in as much as it's made a good case for anything, has made a good case that it is up to Luke Cage to stop Cottonmouth and inspire Harlem.
1: Well, if Luke cared about Harlem. Oh, no, if,
0: that's a separate <laughs> issue. And I agree, it's a mess.
1: But <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. I think there are a lot of things that would make me feel a little bit better about that. Generally, no. Although I guess, I guess Wilson Fisk wasn't, superpowered either he was just super bad
0: I think his superpower is corruption also he owns so much stuff the law can't touch him and so we need someone who is prepared to operate outside of the law to come and deal with him again listeners at home bad idea for the real world (laughs) absolutely the thing you should do in a superhero universe if you want to be a good guy I'm just you know
1: yeah I don't know I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of, if I squint, I can kind of see what you're saying. Like, I can see it. But mm, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm not sure how I feel about it.
0: If this show had all the guts that I wish it had, it would be Luke versus yeah. the cops. Because I mm-hmm. feel like a bulletproof black man is the scariest thing that corrupt police officers.
2: Mm -hmm. or
0: maybe just racist cops would fear the most, right? Like, if this show had the huevos to come along with that, you know.
1: Oh, and to talk about that. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 A superhero going up against corrupt cops. Yeah. Absolutely. Or alternately,
0: as I've mentioned before, if they had kind of tied Mariah and Mm -hmm. Cottonmouth more closely together. So to really play up that, that, Idea that mm-hmm. no one can touch him because he's protected by Mariah and by money and by crooked cops. Like there's right. just this, this umbrella of protection around Cottonmouth that exists so that Luke, who doesn't give a damn about any of it, like he doesn't have a stake in any of that stuff, mm-hmm. can deal with it, which also puts him in opposition to Mariah. And she's apparently going to be hanging around and now be the antagonist, sort of, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. not. It's not great. But I am going to argue that. Uh, superheroes going up against extremely corrupt and insulated crime bosses is fine with me. It does not always have to be supervillains, in my opinion.
1: Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'll I'll I'll, I'll let it stand. <laughs> <laughs> like oh. I'm the arbiter of everything. I'm the judge. No, I think like I can I can kind of see where you're coming from. I still, in general, feel like it's a it's a dangerous kind of value to to give to a hero. But, you know, we've been doing this a bit. So, you know, I also think
0: that this is something that would have occurred to you before in other things we have watched, except that other things we have watched put more narrative effort into themselves. So you didn't have time or interest in thinking about that stuff.
1: You know, we have the same thing with Matt Murdock in Daredevil, except that Matt Murdock has this essential darkness to him. So that was kind of part of that. You know, like that vigilante thing was kind of part of that. So
0: You just liked it because he beat himself up about it. And with Luke, Luke's like, no, nah, I feel good about it. And you're like, that seems shady. No,
1: no, <laughs> no, no. I don't mind. I don't mind that Luke. No, what I what bothers me with Luke is Luke doesn't care about any of it. Well, Luke yes. is not. Luke is not motivated by a love for Harlem. He's not, he got pissed off that Pop got killed, and then he was like, oh, I want Cottonmouth dead, and then Cottonmouth was dead, and then they're like, well, we got nothing to do with this guy, so let's set him up for murder. Oh, except that he has an alibi for the whole night because Claire was with him the whole time, and Misty doesn't even really think that he killed this person, and she knows that something's up, and Mariah is super-duper shady, so <laughs> we're setting him up and framing him, except that he's not being framed because nobody thinks he actually killed Cottonmouth. Nobody... Thinks it. So that whole thing is. Complete and utter narrative nonsense, and then of course we've got Diamondback showing up, and I can't even with that. Um, but for the rest of it in these episodes, um, <laughs> you're, we have you're now these... mining.
0: I want to say mining for diamonds. It's a damn lie. You are now mining <laughs> for iron pyrite. You're just like, can I find? <laughs> is there like an old dirty penny in here that I can find? Is there anything? Yeah.
1: anything in here? We've got all the flashbacks, right? And actually, like Ma Mabel is a, is a really interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of a a black woman having that kind of power and looking out for—I mean, Shades was talking about like anybody needed anything, they went to Ma. Mm-hmm. Somebody's husband was beating them up; they went to Ma. So Mom Mabel is really interesting because she uses her power to help people, but yet, like it's—it's it's kind of this you know noir thing. She is yes. completely corrupt, yes. but she uses her power to kind of like try to help other people in the neighborhood, in the community, as much as she can, and I actually really kind of like mom mabel i'm interested in that she's a little i mean you know it's it's bad making a 14 year old boy kill his uncle i think that that's you know probably not the best thing in the world to do um she's she's cruel in a lot of ways but she's tough and she's powerful and she finds a way to grab at power and a circumstance and a time and a place where that was not typically available to black women and i kind of like it like mom mabel being pissed off and vigilante I'd watch that show <laughs> I would absolutely give her some superpowers and bring her into the 50s and wh- I would watch that show it'd be awesome um, um, I, I could s-
0: probably recommend some black exploitation films to you
1: <laughs> maybe right. I think you
0: instantly need to watch Foxy Brown and probably also Coffee and a okay. bunch more but those are the first two that occurred to me
2: all not right, the same
0: right, not the same list. but might be something you enjoy
1: <laughs> right. I will definitely put him on my list. So I enjoyed that, but narratively, all these flashbacks, oh, yeah. right. And let's just say again, for those in the back who didn't hear me the first five thousand times, Condma? Not our protagonist. Oh no. He is not our guy. This is not his story. It is his story. It's not supposed it's not to be supposed his story. To be. Yeah, yeah. It's such a mess. It's such a mess. But I you know in the now, though, like I love this moment with Mariah where Mariah states the obvious. Cottonmouth is sitting there like, I don't know, bullets don't kill this guy. And then she's like, does he have gills? (laughs) Can you drown him? Perhaps poison. And she's talking to him like, you idiot. Bullets are not the only way to kill somebody yeah. you can kill somebody in like so many different ways you know like open your mind a little bit there <laughs> um
0: imagine the so, possibilities of murder come on
1: right right so here we have this wonderful moment where we're like okay you know here we have him he's walking up against bullets he's completely bulletproof that's kind of awesome then all of a sudden mariah is like yeah Throw him in the ocean. <laughs> you know, right? And I'm thinking, ooh, how interesting. Okay, so here we have Luke and he's bulletproof, but they're gonna find another way in. Oh 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 I guess we're just gonna shoot him then? Okay, fine. That's what we're gonna do is just have Diamond back, you know. Shoot him with with a bullet that can find a way through his molecular whatever that makes him you know mostly bulletproof um and it just feels like we're about to get to an interesting place and then we go right back to the nope gotta be bullets (laughs) has to be bullets yeah
0: it's real bad um, it's real bad it's 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 actually worse the more you think about Mm -hmm. it like, yeah. we've discussed a little bit of how Cottonmouth and Mariah being a joint antagonist could have been really interesting. And watching Cottonmouth sure. be a very straight line thinker, but sure. Mariah be a lateral thinker is, yeah, yeah, I would buy into this. And also, yeah. let the guy, the guy has one claim to fame. He's bulletproof. He has unbreakable right. skin. Let the guy stay friggin' bulletproof for one season. Then. Ex- Then if you want to bring a super bullet into season two, it's actually interesting and a twist. Uh,
1: Or how about we don't? How about we find his other weaknesses? How about we give him some vulnerability in other places and let people not be stupid? Oh, are you bulletproof? (laughs) Well, bulletproof is the bullets are the only thing that can kill people. So we'll just keep shooting you and ruining all of your really, really nice apparel.
0: (laughs) I mean, at this point, there's no reason to sugarcoat anything. It only gets worse from here. It's only worse <laughs> oh, from here <laughs> you You think that this is the nader. This is not the nader
1: There's so much good though there's so much good like there are so many things that would be so great in this show. But I cannot get past like the mess that the narrative is. And maybe it's just because like I am I am geared toward narrative that I think in terms of narrative that when I'm, in, you know, like engaging with the story, like that's what I'm going to look for. So sometimes if that's really messed up, it's hard for me to see like the or enjoy and appreciate the rest of it. But I'm like, there's so much in here that would be really, really great if you just fix those narrative problems.
0: I don't think it's just you slash just me. because Now, I'm gonna mm-hmm. use my wife in, as, as an example who is admittedly very adjacent to these kind of conversations, mm-hmm. but she also doesn't have them right. with me that often. And when we yes. were watching mm-hmm. this season of Luke Cage and I was ready to flip the couch and be all mad about everything, mm-hmm. she was like, what are you mad about? And I go, because I think uh-huh. this is a mess. It, do you not see it? Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh no, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, here's how I would fix it. And then I stopped myself and I was like, you don't care. And she was like, no, no, it is in fact such a mess that this time and this time only, you may tell me how you would fix it.
1: She gave you a one-time pass for Luke Cage. Awesome. Which
0: ended with, oh, yeah, they really should have hired you. Which, I, which is... <laughs> A little horn tootie, it's a little humble brag at this point, because those of you listening do not know my wife, but Lonnie does, and she knows, and I have discussed that she's kind of a Veronica, and so for her to actually be like, yeah, that was rocks, she's very supportive, she loves me very much, but to uh, kind of unsolicited, you have killed this narrative, well done, Uh, unexpected. So I don't think it's just us, it's not just us.
1: Okay. No, it's absolutely, absolutely mess. Okay, so is there anything else in these episodes that you feel like you want to talk about? I think I hit all of my notes.
0: (laughs) Uh, No, I I only drink to forget at this point. Okay. (laughs) However, Mama Mabel does open a door to some actual historical stuff that I think, after your Uh discussion of Mabel, you're going to love. Yeah. (laughs) So I believe that Mabel is very loosely based on a real historical African-American woman crime boss. I love it. Her name is (laughs) Stephanie St. Clair. Uh Uh-huh. In Manhattan, where she kept an apartment so that she could grease the wheels of city politics, they called her Queenie. But in Mm -hmm. Harlem, they only ever called her Madam. Oh, Madame St. Clair is a woman of mixed French and African ancestry. She started her life, it was very hard. She had a very hard life in the West Indies and then moved to France and finally to New York, arriving in 1911. Mm -hmm. She's a very, very smart woman. She knew how to read and write already, uh, which Mm -hmm. were kind of rare skills for uh, black people in Europe, not to mention the Americas at this time. Mm Mm-hmm. She actually used the voyage from France to America and then the lengthy quarantine to learn English. That's when she learned English on the way. Now, I grant you. Oh,
1: my God. In 1911,
0: this would have been a few months. It's not like, well, I've got a 12 hour flight, but still.
1: (laughs) Still. No, that's damned impressive. Damned
0: impressive. Yes. When she got to the USA, she dated a small time hood who tried to prostitute her. This caused Mm -hmm. a fight wherein she stabbed him in the eye with a fork.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love her.
0: Sure. She then flees New York by bus. Like, well, Mm -hmm. I've stabbed a man with criminal connections. Best go. Oh, God. Unfortunately, this is kind of a tough, like, trigger warning, skip ahead 30 seconds for sexual violence. But unfortunately, the bus was stopped by Ku Klux Klan members. Oh, no. Several of the black passengers were hung or burned alive right in front of her, and she was raped repeatedly.
1: Oh, my God.
0: This was enough for her to return to New York. She was like, well, <laughs> to hell with the rest of the country. I'm going back to the town that I kind of oh liked a little bit. Oh, God. Where yeah. she found a different small-time hood to date, and they went into business selling controlled drugs illegally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just going to quote this from Wikipedia. After a few months, she had made $30,000 and told Ed, wow. her boyfriend, that she wanted to leave him and start her own business. Ed tried to strangle her because apparently he didn't hear about the guy with a fork in his eye. <laughs> and she pushed him away with such force that he cracked his skull against a table and died. Oh my For God. months afterwards, she employed her own men, bribed cops, and on April 12th, 1917, invested $10,000 of her own money in a clandestine lottery game in Harlem. As a result of her success running one of the leading numbers games in the city, she became known throughout Manhattan as Queenie. And that ends the quote plus my editorial. She becomes one of the most (laughs) successful numbers runners in the history of New York.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And the reason for this is somewhat altruistic. Okay, like, don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. She made money. But what she did Mm -hmm. is start a policy bank. Now, Uh policy banks are not technically legal they're actually a Mm -hmm. combination of investment numbers gambling and a lottery but since most Mm -hmm. banks at the time wouldn't do business with black people st Clair's policy Mm -hmm. banks were the only way for harlem residents to invest their money Mm -hmm. she created a shadow economy in harlem and employed many residents of the neighborhood granted often Mm -hmm. in illegal roles but nevertheless big source of employment Mm -hmm. But she also employed people in her more legitimate businesses as well. She made 20 grand a year in the 1920s.
1: Oh, my God.
0: She was basically the only woman in the numbers game.
1: Oh, my God. She
0: used some of her money to become something of a political activist. She ran ads in local newspapers, educating Harlem residents on their rights, advocating for voting rights, and spoke out against police brutality.
1: Oh, my God.
0: This got the police to come in a restaurant, trumped up charges, and she went and spent eight months in a workhouse.
1: Oh, my God.
0: After that, she was so mad she testified about all the cops she'd paid off and bribed in front of the Seabury Commission. Who oh, my then god. promptly fired a lot of cops. Her. Uh-huh.
1: I love her.
0: She's very good.
1: Oh my god
0: now after that she really had to distance herself from the day-to-day business because the cops hated her and wouldn't Mm -hmm. do business with her she turned most of the day-to-day operations over to her chief lieutenant ellsworth bumpy johnson (laughs) now to see how her career kind of ended i'll quote again from wikipedia Mm -hmm. After the end of Prohibition, Jewish and Italian American crime families suffered a decline in profits and decided to move in on the Harlem gambling scene. Let's remember, side note for me, most of the money that created organized crime, like the the powerful entity that it became, was Mm -hmm. from liquor during Prohibition. We make our own problems here in America. (laughs) (laughs) And so when Prohibition ended... They took big hit, they got to get into Mm -hmm. other avenues, let's just go take over some gambling situations that already exist, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Bronx-based mob boss Dutch Schultz was the first to move in, beating and killing numbers operators who would not pay him protection. Mm -hmm. St. Clair and Bumpy were some of those who refused to pay protection to Dutch Schultz, despite Mm -hmm. his violence and intimidation and what they were getting from the police. Mhm. St. Clair responded by attacking the storefronts of businesses that ran Schultz's betting operations and then tipped off the cops about him.
1: Oh my god. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> this resulted in the police raiding his house, arresting more than a dozen of his employees, and seizing approximately $12 million or oh about god. $172 million in 2019 currency.
1: Oh, my God.
0: St. Clair never submitted to Dutch Schultz like many others in Harlem eventually did.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, okay, here's the thing. Like, I know she went into criminal enterprise. Right. And she was clearly nobody to fuck with. But I mean, a black woman at that time in America finding her own power and not letting anybody take it away from her. I mean, she's fucking badass.
0: Yeah, I have huge mixed feelings about her because obviously she was doing good for the community in the way that she had at her disposal. And she ran those ads and really tried to educate people about, you know, know your rights Mm -hmm. before cops start coming in here and making us do stuff. At the same time, I can tell you from having read (laughs) somewhat extensively about how numbers running works a lot of people got hurt along the way yeah. and a lot of people but that's what got makes hurt. her
1: so cool she's so wonderful and complicated and crunchy Egg, yes
0: yes yes i mean I narratively agree. crunchy yeah no 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 i agree you may remember a couple episodes ago i mentioned that we were going to get some some flashbacks of mom Ma mabel mm-hmm. and that was going to be my excuse to talk about a actual historical person that yeah. was so cool i immediately folded her into pieces of fiction i was working on yeah. this is her this is stephanie oh my st Clair.
1: she's incredible
0: yeah, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Oh we need we need a 12-volume work on her for real.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Somebody's got to start doing that. Somebody's got to start telling that story because that's incredible. All right, Joshua, so here we are at the end of the discussion of Luke Cage, uh, episodes six through eight, during which we spent, I don't know, a few minutes discussing the actual episodes themselves.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. It's not <laughs> worth it. So It's
1: not good. It's not good. All right, so what's your favorite part? Well, we barely
0: talked about the fact that Claire and Misty had some interaction with one another in this episode. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. That stuff is all pretty delightful. And it led to my favorite part. It happens very fast. If you didn't notice, friends, go and rewatch it.
2: Claire (laughs) is in the
0: interrogation room and she stands up and Misty stands up and says, sit your ass down. And the Mm -hmm. look that Claire shoots her is...
2: (laughs) Quite
0: frankly, on my list of reasons that I have fallen in love with Rosario Dawson. So,
2: yes,
1: (laughs) it's very
0: good. It's very good. Lonnie, what about yourself? Do you have a favorite part?
1: Uh, You know, I'm kind of I've been scrambling for it (laughs) Um,
0: when the credits rolled.
1: I've been scrambling for it because, I mean, there are things that I do, like, enjoy in these episodes, but I think that, like, honestly, Mariah, when she looks at Cottonmouth and says, does he have gills?
0: (laughs) It's man.
1: (laughs) Can you poison him? Like, when she's just like, okay, so you can't shoot him? Fine. There are other ways to kill people. There's something about that that is so beautifully obvious, and yet so incredibly clever because everybody else is like nope i keep shooting him and he just doesn't fall <laughs> down like you know
0: <laughs> yeah no you're right it's so, a good yeah. scene it's a
1: good and scene and alfred woodard is just amazing in everything i mean you know whatever they do with mariah in these episodes alfred woodard is incredible in the part
0: she's making silk purses out of sal's ears all over the place oh, it's she true is. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes.
1: This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our November producers. Jonathan, Noel, Kristen, Alyssa, Erica, Shelly, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. Thank you, producers. And to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. I ain't no hero. Pay me. Man, we're
0: really getting very confrontational with our patrons during Luke we Cage.
1: Really
2: are.
0: And I'm here <laughs> for it. I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> To find out how you too can support Shipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or maybe get a mask after all.
1: Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We will be back next time with our discussion of Luke Cage Season 1, Episodes 9 through 11. Until then, I'm about sick of always having to buy new clothes.
2: We're so, it's we're so fucking good.
0: cynical, and who can blame us? I honestly, <laughs> I'd like to return to our halcyon days of Agents of Shield when I didn't give right. a shit,
2: but at least the whole thing hung together. <laughs> right. <clears throat>